0: Great. If you um, have that passage that we had read uh, open in front of you, it would be a great help to me. It's uh, page 1,039. It's uh, chapter 9 of Luke's Gospel. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Let's uh, uh, spend a moment in prayer, shall we, as we come to look at it. Uh, The words of the psalmist. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Lord God, we want to feast on your word this evening, and we pray that as we do feast on it, we would so feast on Christ, the bread of life, and that that would satisfy us. Amen. I wonder if you caught the uh, best joke, or best rated joke, I think, at the Edinburgh Fringe uh, this year. Some of you might uh, know what's coming. Uh, It went something like this, if I've got it right. Uh, Jesus fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. It's not a miracle, it's tapas. I'm not going to comment on the joke, whether that's particularly funny or not. I, I don't know whether it tickles your sense of humour or not. I have to say it leaves me a little bit cold. Uh, but the, very, the fact that a stand-up comic in our so-called secular society, our secular age, can reference the story that we've heard read, it tells us a lot, doesn't it, about the resonance that this story has uh, with our, our, our world and down the age. Uh, it's probably the best known miracle that Jesus ever performed. If we were to go out on the streets, perhaps go down to the, the Mulberry Pub tonight and grab somebody and said, uh, Name a miracle that Jesus did, I wonder how many people would be able to say, Feather 5000. Probably quite a lot, I reckon. Uh, apart from the resurrection, it, it's the only one of the miracles that all of the gospel writers uh, record. Uh, And I guess perhaps for that reason, it's the one that most of us uh, can remember as well. And I want to look at it uh, this this evening, uh, really through the eye of each of the three major participants. We're going to look at the crowd first, uh, then look at the disciples, uh, the twelve, and then finally we'll come to uh, look at Jesus. So let's look at the crowd first. And I've described them as the suffering crowd, and you'll see why in a moment, the suffering crowd. Uh, Most of us can remember the miracle uh, pretty well. But I think very few of us remember the context uh, of the miracle. Let me um, help you out. Uh, the disciples have just completed, uh, I suppose, what we might call their apprenticeship. And you can kind of see that, can't you, in uh, verse uh, 10. Uh, the apostles returned. Uh, let me remind you what's happened. At the beginning of uh, chapter 9, uh, Jesus has, uh, s- has called the twelve together, and then he's uh, sent them out to preach and to, uh, to heal. And from what we can tell, it was a pretty amazing time. They went out, things happened, they saw stuff uh, happening, uh, and they came back really, really excited. But it wasn't without cost. I guess if you've been involved in, I don't know, a beach mission or a holiday club or a summer camp, you probably know something of that feeling, don't you? You can have a week where it's, it's obvious that God is doing stuff, and it's really, really, really exciting. But it's actually really tiring as well. You come back and you're really excited and really buzzing but also really tired. And I think that's probably what, what was going on here. The disciples were really excited. They'd seen God at work, but actually they were really quite tired and just in need of a rest. And, and Jesus realised that. And, uh, and, and he takes them away for a sort of mini break, uh, a mini retreat at uh, Bethsaida, which is on the sort of north shore of Galilee. It's one of the little fishing uh, villages, a bit like being in the Lake District. So they've gone off to, to, uh, to Keswick or uh, Coniston for a bit of a breather. Uh, Jesus realises They need a bit of time out to rest, to refresh. It's a helpful reminder for us, isn't it, just in passing, that uh, the pattern of Jesus isn't work, 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 work. So often we can think that as Christians. And it is right to strive. It's right to work hard, of course. It's right to work hard uh, for the kingdom of God. But actually, it's not constant, never, it's not non-stop work. If Jesus and the disciples needed to take time out, to rest and repelish how much more do you and I do I think we need that a lot anyway as soon as they've gone away uh, there's a familiar story isn't there that uh, occurs in, uh, in verse 11 uh, no sooner have they started their mini break than the crowd find out and decide they want a bit of the action as well they want to come along as well verse 11 the crowds learned about it and they followed him uh, it's quite possible that lots of these crowd, the crowd were, were pilgrims. They were probably on the way to Passover in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, and on the way, they'd heard something about Jesus. They'd heard what he'd been up to. Uh, and they wanted to kind of catch a glimpse uh, of him and, uh, and to see what he was about. Now, on, on one level, I think reading this, the, the crowd's behavior is pretty selfish, isn't it? It's a little bit like the kind of paparazzi who sort of go hunting after the royals or whatever, all the sort of various celebrities, trying to kind of hang on to them and get a glimpse of them and interrupting their, their privacy. There was no kind of privacy laws back in, in those days. It looks like they're kind of hounding Jesus down, aren't they? Well, I mean, can't they see that he's absolutely knackered? He needs some time out. His friends are exhausted. They've just gone away. They need some peace and quiet. Why can't they just respect their privacy a bit? And yet, from what Jesus does when they get there, I think it's pretty clear these people were in desperate, desperate need. Uh, They were physically and spiritually sick. Uh, They really needed uh, the touch of the Lord Jesus. Uh, We're told, aren't we, that uh, Jesus welcomed them and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who needed healing. It's a sad reminder of the reality of the broken worlds that we live in. These people were hungry for Jesus for a reason. Uh, they were desperately, desperately needy. Uh, some of you remember uh, last summer we did uh, the Who Cares? We took part on the Who Cares mission uh, across uh, Norfolk. And uh, reading some of the, uh, the, the responses that people gave, we asked the question, really, what hurts the most in your life? What, what's the thing that really hurts the most? And reading some of the responses was, was heartbreaking. Uh, and for me, it was, a, it was just a really sad reminder of the fact that we do live in a really broken world. People are in desperate need of Jesus. And I think we uh, see that here. Uh, if you do ask the crowd, who cares? They've got no doubt. <laughs> they know the answer to that question. Jesus cares. And they're not disappointed, are they? Uh, Luke says he welcomed them. Didn't just kind of grudgingly accept them. All oh, right, I guess you're here. Open arms, come to me, come on. I'll sort you out. Uh, he welcomes them. He makes the hurting whole again. Uh, he's the compassionate Saviour. I suppose uh, I'm not alone this week uh, looking at the photos of the migrants um, that's been sort of taking over the news, uh, news outlets the last week. Uh, it's very easy, isn't it, to, to look at those and be shocked. And I think that's a right response. It's right to be shocked out of our complacency and our sense of satisfaction. Uh, but I wonder how many of us will look at that and say, yeah, I need to do something about it, but when I'm less tired or when I'm less busy. I don't know, if I'm honest, that, that tends to be my response. I think, yeah, I, I need to do something about that, but I'm a bit tired at the moment. I've had a tough week. I've got plenty of things on at the moment. I just can't do any more about that. How wonderful that Jesus isn't like us. <laughs> isn't it good that Jesus is not like us? He doesn't see needs and says, it's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with them when I've got a little bit less on, when the diary's a little bit less full, when I'm a little bit less tired, when I've had a, had a, had a bit more food. Uh, there's a song, isn't there? We sing an old hymn Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. True words. We see that here, don't we? The crowd coming to Jesus and meeting their needs. Uh, what do you need him to do for you? Maybe it came up in that exercise we did earlier. Uh, what do you need him to do for you? What's holding you back? Jesus' arms are there. He's open wide. He's waiting to hear, and he welcomes. Well, let's move on. Let's look at uh, the disciples, the sort of second group in this uh, story. I describe the disciples as the sceptical disciples. We had a suffering crowd. We've got the sceptical uh, disciples. Uh, all this that we've seen going on leads to a very, very practical problem. As the day wears on, uh, the disciples start to get uh, rather concerned. Uh, they're in a remote area. There's nowhere for the uh, crowd to, uh, to shelter or to get food. Uh, they start demanding that Jesus uh, sends the crowds away uh, in order that they might have some opportunity uh, to find some food and lodging before nightfall. It all sounds pretty caring, doesn't it? But I do wonder how much it was actually self interest they have a day of this, and they? They have a day of being besieged, of seeing Jesus dealing with the crowds. I think if I'd been in their situation, I'd probably be tempted to uh, do what they did. Jesus, just send them away. Go away. You know, they, need to, they need to find some food. They need to find somewhere to, uh, to stay. I think in reality, they were the tired and the hungry ones, actually, as much as anything else. Or well, whatever they was going through their minds, whatever was motivating them uh, when they came to Jesus, I, I bet they never expected what he said in reply to them. You give them something to eat. Verse 13) you give them something to eat. Uh, It's it's clear when you read it in the original, but the emphasis is very much on the you. Jesus is saying, look, you guys, go and give them something to eat. You, go and sort, sort the problem out. Makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, after all, they were the ones who'd raised the problem in the first place. They'd noticed it. I mean, they'd said to Jesus, go and do something, go and sort it out. Actually, even more importantly than that, they've just been on a mission trip. <laughs> they've seen God's power at work through uh, their preaching and through uh, their, uh, the, the healings and the miracles. I think if Jesus is being serious here, and uh, I think he is, I don't think there's any hint that he's, you know, he, he, he's having a wind-up. He seems to be suggesting that in his name, the disciples would be able to feed the crowd. They would be able to meet their needs. Uh, in his name. What do the disciples uh, do? Unfortunately, they don't obey, do they? They don't obey the master's uh, command. Uh, they're too taken up with the practical difficulties that they can see in front of them. Well, they've got? got a handful of bread, a couple of fish. They've got a crowd as large as the late Roman legion to feed. I, I guess to their eyes, it must have seemed completely impossible and Jesus' command, absolutely ridiculous. What does he mean saying you sort them out? You feed them, you give them something to eat. The problem was they were sceptics deep down, weren't they? They were looking at that situation that they saw in front of them with doubting hearts. They'd completely forgotten the power of God that only that last week they'd seen demonstrated, and many, many times before, no doubt. Uh, at the very least, they might have asked Jesus, well, look, we can't do it, but you can. Why don't you sort it out? They didn't. They disobeyed his words. They didn't do what he asked. And then they even they seem to doubt his ability to provide. Verse 13 again, they say, "Answered, we only have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. Uh, they completely disobey Jesus' words and they doubt his ability to provide. It's quite a contrast with another of Jesus' followers, writing later on in the New Testament, St. Paul, languishing in a Roman jail. Doesn't know what the future holds, doesn't really know uh, where he's going to be, whether he's going to live out uh, the rest of the year. And he confidently tells Jesus' followers in Philippi this, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I think it's one of the great uh, truths of the Christian life, isn't it, that we have to keep on going on learning uh, this lesson. Uh, My wife, Claire, and I learnt this uh, quite a lot, actually, when we were uh, looking for a curacy when I was at theological college. Uh, The way it works is you you kind of, in your final year of college, you have to start looking for a church, basically, that's going to take you and uh, and have you as a curate. And uh, the situation we were in was basically virtually all of our friends had found jobs. And I was in that slightly awkward situation. I hadn't really got anything. Nothing was coming up. I'd tried a few churches, but basically got no response. I even got called into the principal's office to ask what was going on and whether there was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, <laughs> I didn't want to seem desperate. <laughs> but I have to confess, I was, I was starting to get a bit nervous. Back in September, I hadn't been particularly bothered. But actually got to November, late November, and just things just didn't seem to be working. Anyway, uh, trade came up, we went through the procedures, and we were really sure that this is where the Lord uh, was calling us, so that was, that was fine. Uh, the problem was, the sticking point, was that we wanted a job for Claire as well. We knew that um, Claire needed a job, uh, and we looked around, and there just were no openings whatsoever. We'd written to countless schools and colleges and all kinds of things to see if there was an opening, but nothing seemed to have come up. And we were in this kind of dilemma. We knew we had a deadline to respond, and we had to sort of accept the job, uh, but we, we, you know, we're on the stand be a little bit wary about that. What happens if Claire doesn't get a job? Anyway, we thought, well, we've got to just trust the Lord on this one. And, do it. Uh, and wonderfully, within four weeks, I think, of having accepted the job, uh, a job came up for Claire as well. And it's just a great lesson, actually, that we can trust God for His, uh, for Him to provide us. Uh, he always provides what we need. I wish I could say that, that was always true. I wish I could say that I'd gone on. Uh, trusting him. Sadly, I think I'm far too often more like the disciples (laughs) than I am like St. Paul. But actually, for all of us, if we're followers of Jesus, that's our experience, isn't it? We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk trusting God to achieve in his power, in his name, Uh, what to our minds and what to the world seems completely unrealistic, completely impossible. Uh, And Jesus calls us not to doubt him, not to disobey his word, as the disciples did, but simply to trust him and obey him. Uh, And let's be praying that we would be growing in that, we'd be stepping out in faith, growing in our trust of him, trust of his word and his promises, and seeing what he does with that. Let's look finally at uh, Jesus, the uh, sufficient uh, saviour. Well, I think it's pretty fortunate that uh, Jesus wasn't put off by the scepticism of his friends. Uh, We we know where the story finishes. Uh, He uh, miraculously provides uh, for the crowd's needs and more. Uh, So from verse 14, he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups, of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks, and he broke them, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. He wasn't put off by the scepticism of the disciples, thank goodness, and the crowds uh, were fed. Unfortunately, it's not only the disciples who've showed a lot of scepticism uh, regarding this story. There have been lots of people since uh, who have been very sceptical about whether Luke is really, according, uh, really recording truth for us. Perhaps the, uh, well, that's an example. I'm not sure it's the best, uh, best explanation, but the one I think that tickles me the most is the, uh, the explanation that Jesus simply persuaded the crowd to share their lunch <laughs> with one another. That was the real miracle that they uh, they, uh, they loved one another, and Jesus was able to persuade them to uh, not be selfish. Uh, the sad truth is for those sceptics, it actually doesn't really hold water when you look at it closely. Uh, when we look in the Greek, the, uh, the, the phrase that uh, the Luke uses uh, when it talks about Jesus uh, giving the bread to the disciples has this idea, literally, of he kept on giving. I think it's Luke's way of giving us a clue about what happened. Wasn't that Jesus kind of motivated people to share their lunch? He literally did keep on giving the, the bread and the food and, until uh, they, uh, they, everyone had had enough. I think Luke is just you know, is simply recording what happened. Uh, it was a miracle, whether we uh, like to uh, believe it or not. Well, we noted, didn't we, at the start, that of all the miracles that uh, Jesus did, apart from the, uh, the resurrection on Easter Day, this is the only one that each of the Gospel writers records. Uh, I, I think that probably tells us that it's quite significant. In uh, the life of Jesus, uh, there's something about this miracle that teaches us a deep, deep truth about Jesus, and all of the gospel writers want us to uh, to grasp it and uh, to understand it. And I think there are lots of things really we could take away uh, from this uh, this story, but I want us just to, to suggest the two things in particular that I, I think probably the most important that stand out uh, for uh, for us from this story. Uh, the first thing is that I think this miracle demonstrates beyond doubt that Jesus really is the Son of God. Uh, Luke has sandwiched this story really, really carefully, actually. He's, he's sandwiched it between uh, two very significant events. Uh, so just before this account of the feeding of 5,000, uh, he records for us King Herod hearing about Jesus' activities and asking who he really is. So verse seven of chapter nine. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets had long ago come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? So you've got Herod wondering, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? What's going on here? But if we look at the other end of the story, we're sort of bookends here, uh, we then have what the uh, NIV editors have helpfully uh, headlines Peter's confession of Christ and it's that famous account where Jesus uh, asks uh, the disciples who do you say that I am and of course peter uh, confesses that jesus is the christ the christ of God. In fact, if he wants to be even more convinced of that, the episode straight after that uh, is the transfiguration where Jesus and the disciples, uh, well, Peter, John, and James, the, the kind of the inner circle, are taken up on the mountain. And then we hear uh, the voice uh, from heaven, verse 35, chapter 9 uh, This is my son whom I've chosen. Uh, there's something really significant about the placing of this miracle. Uh, Luke is uh, telling us, I think, that beyond doubt, Jesus is the Son of God. If we don't believe Peter, if we don't believe the transfiguration, he's setting it up for us here. Uh, No one else, only God could do what Jesus is doing here. The proof is right in front of our eyes. There's a story told about the artist uh, Paul Gustav Dorr, who was apparently travelling in Europe and uh, he lost his passport on the way. He wasn't able to go and get another one and he got stopped at one of these border control places and was desperately trying to get the uh, border guards to let him in. And apparently the only way he could convince them was by uh, grabbing a sketchbook and uh, drawing their portraits. And apparently they recognised his style and they were happy to, uh, to let him in on the, on the basis of that. Uh, only Dorr could draw like Dorr, And only God's could perform the miracles, the works of God. Jesus is the Son of God. There need not be any doubt about that. But I think this miracle not only tells us who Jesus is, but I think, secondly, it also gives us a clue as to why he came. Why is he here in the first place? Uh, verse 12, the disciples uh, point out to Jesus that they're in a remote place. Uh, literally, the translation is it's the wilderness, or the desert, we could also Uh, translate it. Uh, And if we know our Bibles well enough, we might be thinking at this point of another time when uh, God's people were in the wilderness. They've escaped from uh, slavery in Egypt, and they haven't quite yet made it to the promised lands that uh, God has promised for them. And God provided for his people manna, special special bread uh, from heaven to sustain them on their journey. You can read about it in your own time. It's uh, Exodus chapter 16. Now, partly, God gave it to his people for practical reasons. They were hungry, and they needed food. But there was also a deeper reason why it was given. It was given to teach a deeper truth. Uh, And you can read about that in uh, Deuteronomy, chapter 8. Moses explains what the miracle was about. And he says, in very famous words that Jesus uh, will later quote, it was given to teach God's people that man does not live by bread alone, but on the words of God." There's a kind of, uh, sort of picture there of, uh, of what it means to live uh, by faith, to be sustained by God's word. Uh, later on in scripture, uh, the prophet Isaiah talks about uh, salvation being a bit like bread that satisfies. It's a picture in uh, Isaiah chapter 55. So there is this kind of theme in scripture of, of bread being used as a symbol of the spiritual life that only God can give us. Uh, We said, didn't we, that this uh, miracle is is recorded in in all the gospel accounts. And and St. John's gospel is the one that really makes this this point the the, the clearest for us. Uh, After eating the bread that Jesus gives them, uh, John records that the crowd wanted more of it. But Jesus warned them. He says this. This is what John records. Uh, Jesus says to them, do not work for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give. So it's that kind of spiritual side to it. It's not just a picture of uh, Jesus providing uh, for their physical needs. It's a spiritual uh, hunger. Jesus continues, very, very famous words. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. This miracle, this picnic, this feeding of the 5,000 points us to Jesus our sufficient Saviour, the bread of life, as he describes himself in John's Gospel, the one who alone can nourish us, sustain us, and satisfy us, uh, to satisfy the cravings of our hearts, the desires uh, that we so desperately want. And in case we're not sure how he does that, John again records for us Jesus' explanation. He says this, The bread which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That body that was broken on the cross for our salvation, the bread that was torn, the bread of life torn. Because Jesus died, that is the path to life. Uh, Throughout history, many people have recognised that there's something in the human heart that is craving for more. Uh, Plato, the uh, Greek philosopher, used to say that man is a being in search of meaning. Man is a being in search of meaning. in uh, in perhaps more closer to uh, to our times, uh, philosophers and and, and sort of uh, psychiatrists have have realised this. So uh, Freud used to talk about the kind of the hunger for love that everybody has. Uh, uh, Carl Jung used to talk about the the sort of hunger for security that deep down uh, we all need. Uh, And I think they're on to something, and probably each of us can recognise that. Uh, Deep down, in all of us, some of us, we're, we're craving something some kind of satisfaction, something more than life seems to be able to offer us. Uh, we try looking for that in different things, don't we? Sometimes people think that if they can achieve things, that will uh, bring them that satisfaction, whether it's good grades, whether it's uh, completing you know, amazing challenges, like you know, running a marathon or something like that. Uh, people think that if they achieve something, that will give them significance and meaning in life. Sometimes people place their hope in relationships. They think the thing, just find that special somebody, that special person, then that will make everything all right, that, that one, my soulmate, and everything will be okay and I'll be satisfied. Uh, sometimes uh, people uh, place their hope in material things. If I can just kind of acquire that bigger house, that bigger car, uh, that new uh, laptop, uh, whatever it happens to be, it, that hope that that something, that, that sort of thing will, will, will somehow will satisfy that, that, uh, that hunger that's deep down inside. But in many ways, those things are good things, often. It's good to have relationships. It's good to achieve things. They're not bad things. But ultimately, they can't deal with the, the real issue, can they? Because they can't deal with the root of the problem. But the problem is that we're made for God. We need his forgiveness. Uh, we're made to be in a relationship with him. They're pointers, really, to what actually only Jesus can ultimately uh, supply uh, just yesterday, I was reading in the newspaper the obituary of uh, the film star, Dean Jones, who died in the uh, last week. Many of you have never heard of Dean Jones. Confess I hadn't really heard of him much until <laughs> I read his obituary yesterday. But he starred in a number of pretty forgettable films about 50 years ago uh, that I really not really remembered much any, anymore. Uh, it's lots, of, uh, lots of kind of B-movies and so on and so forth. But they were very, very lucrative. He made a lot of money uh, off them. And of course, with money came the girls, came the big house, the big car... Uh, the fame and the adulation that he'd always longed for as a struggling young actor. Uh, and his testimony was, was quite dramatic. He, he really came to a realisation, I think he'd, at some point he had a friend who was a Christian, who led him to realise that all those things just weren't satisfying him. I mean, he knew that. He'd ended up, I think, in, in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. He was desperately unhappy, uh, searching for something that was going to, uh, going to uh, meet, his, uh, meet his needs. Uh, still feeling empty until he found that Jesus could forgive all the things he'd done wrong and offer him that satisfaction that fame, girls, money hadn't, uh, hadn't uh, been able to do. Uh, Jesus is the bread of life. He promises to satisfy our hungry hearts like nothing else in the world can. Uh, why would we look anywhere else for things to satisfy us? Maybe that's your uh, experience this evening, I don't know what, your, uh, what you were thinking about, and we did our exercise earlier. You don't have to share it, that's okay, it's private. But I wonder what it was that uh, was in your heart. Maybe you're aware this evening of that longing for something more. There's something more to life. We're made for something more than just the nine to five, just uh, clocking up the bank balance, paying off the mortgage. The answer is we're made for a relationship with God, we're made to know Jesus, to be forgiven and uh, to, uh, to love him and to be sustained by him. And Jesus is the only one who can do that. He satisfies and he sustains. St. Augustine famously said that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. That was a lesson, I think, that Jesus was teaching the crowd, teaching the disciples. I think he teaches that to us as well. Let's be uh, learning and obedient, shall we, and trusting him. Can I pray? Jesus, all of us do know the truth of that quote, observation from Augustine our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you each of us know that we so often look for different things to satisfy us whether it's material things, relationships maybe even food for some people, who knows and yet we realise that you are the bread of life we thank you that you came to offer the answer to the hunger of our hearts, to satisfy us, to sustain us like nothing else can. And we pray that we would uh, come to you. We would be filled uh, with the bread that you offer. Uh, We would keep coming back to you. We wouldn't go looking elsewhere. Uh, So please offer it to us. We thank you that you are the bread of life. Amen.